When I was talking with Grace, I, she told me that they wanted very much to project the past, the present, and the future. And as I saw the faces of those children, the future is here. And so what I'd like us to do is, as the teachers who go for junior worship and as the children are dismissed, can we just give them a round of applause and thank them for being the future? Thank you so much. Appreciate it so much. You know, it might come as a surprise to some of you, but when I get stressed, I read the book of 1 Peter. Now, you might say that is really a strange book to read when you're stressed. The reason is that many of the same principles that Peter gives to the church under persecution apply to believers whenever they are stressed and distressed. The thinking goes something like this. God's solution to handling the greater stresses of persecution can help us handle the smaller stresses of our lives. There's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. Now, it is natural for some of us here in the GBC family to feel the stress of the rebuilding and the relocation to the chapel of the Holy Spirit. It's just natural. Change always brings stress. The new service, the new location, the new transportation routes, all of this, the new ways of doing things take us out of our comfort zone and causes stress. Right? Right. When God, what does God say to his people to strengthen and comfort them in trying times? That's what we hope to see and answer this morning. And to do this, I want to direct your attention to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. And here, God gives us clear direction and guidance. And there's no mystery about what he says. He makes it very clear. And he gives us the directions that we need for the days ahead. The title of this message is, What Time Is It? My friend, the time is to move, it is time to move and rebuild. And it has finally come. For over two years, we've been looking, we've been planning, we've been talking, we've been praying. And now it's going to happen. And so this is the time. It is time for our hearts and our hands, our souls and our spirits to be fully engaged. There is no let's wait. It's now the time to move on. And so Peter's words to us are very important. Because what are we going to do to prepare ourselves, to engage ourselves in this time? So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. The first thing is that it is time to live expectantly. And this is found in verse 7. It's time to recapture the reality and the urgency that eternity is near. Now, Pastor, what do you mean by all that? That's a mouthful. Well, let's read the verse. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And so Peter says, first of all, the end of all things is near. What is he referring to? 
He is referring to the Christ's return. He's talking about Christ's return to earth. In times of stress, God reminds his people that the imminent return of Christ is near. When Christ returns to earth to rule, he will make all things right. He will make all things right. When he, in, uh, it will be preceded by a time when God's people will be received by Christ in the air. They will be reunited with loved ones and they will be rewarded for their deeds. The promise of Christ's return gives God's people motivation and hope in hopeless times. This has been God's pattern. Oftentimes, when God's people have been under stress, what does he say? He says, the time is near. Christ is coming back. Do not be dismayed. God is in control. I'm often asked sometimes, people say, when you speak about the return of Christ, when will it come? And all I can say is each day brings us one day closer than we were yesterday. That's all you can say. Because we don't know exactly when he will come. Well, how should we live until he comes? Well, knowing that Christ's return will come at any time adds a sense of urgency to proclaim the gospel to those who have not heard and have not yet chosen to receive Christ. Knowing that Christ's return can come at any time gives us a sense of urgency to faithfully proclaim the gospel and give as many people as possible the opportunity to accept Christ, to secure reconciliation with God, secure forgiveness of sin, secure salvation from the wrath of God, and secure eternal life. That is what should happen when we live with a sense of expectancy and a sense of urgency. If you look at John chapter 3, verse 36, God, Christ clearly says to us, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so the plea this morning, as simply and as clearly as I can possibly say it, If you have never, ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I beseech you to do it. The coming of Christ is near. The coming of eternity is near. That's all that scripture says to us, and we should heed it. Now, in verse 7, Peter also says, Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The term sound judgment means self-controlled. The term a sober spirit means clear-headed. If I were to put my own translation into this, if I was writing a Bible translation and I was trying to communicate this to my children or my grandchildren, I would say it this way. Be calm, be cool, and collected in prayer. All right? In other words, don't have a panic attack. Because you say to yourself, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, oh, Jesus is coming, you know, eternity is close. Ah, and I'm going through all these stresses, I'm going through all these challenges. Oh my, oh my. You know, it's easy for us to lose it. But he says, be calm, be cool, be collected. Don't have a panic attack. 
As God's people, the GBC family needs to recapture this sense of expectancy and urgency. The time of Christ's return is near. Now, just because the return of Christ hasn't happened yet doesn't invalidate the promise. It just means the time has not yet come for it to be fulfilled. In the meantime, we ought to go about God's business and not so much our own. Never mind, never mind the challenges and the changes we must endure, but be prayerful and faithful to God's calling to share and live the gospel because Christ's return is near. No matter how stressful things get, God is in control. His plans and his purposes are on track and will be fulfilled. Make no mistake about that. All right? He is in control. What time is it? It's time to live expectantly for Christ's return and urgently be about God's work of sharing and living the gospel before the lost. But the scripture goes on because it answers the question, how should we live in this world and with one another until Christ's return? That's an important question. <laughs> you know, I don't know when Christ is going to come back. Do you? Do you? Do you? Do you know when Christ is going to come back? No. Then what are you going to do in the meantime? Are we going to sit on our hands? Are we going to look, sit here and look at each other and just yawn? Or what are we going to do? You see, Peter goes on before this. And he says some very significant things. And I hope that you will see this. In verses 8 through 11, he answers this question in this way. First of all, he says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, please notice in verse 8 that he says, Above all. In other words, a literal translation is before all things. Make this a top priority. Make this a top priority priority, that we keep fervent in our love for one another. The ESV translation says it this way, keep loving one another earnestly. Now, does this surprise us? Does this shock us that God uh, would remind us of this through the Apostle Peter? Not really. If you look back at John chapter 13, Jesus Christ himself highlighted the importance of loving one another. Look at John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. He says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It won't be our knowledge that impresses people and shows them that we are true disciples. It is our love for one another. And Peter emphasizes our fervent love for one another. The word fervent in there means strenuous, deeply or passionately love one another. It's used of an athlete. When an athlete comes down and he's running a race and he's coming down to the finish line and all everybody's trying to win the prize. They're stretching for everything that they are worth to get there first. And it's the same way. God wants us to put the same kind of effort into our love for one another. Why? Well, 
if you look at this more closely, you see that there are two levels that are affected. Emotionally, a fervent love will drive us to forgive one another. Look at the second half of verse 8. And it said, when I read it earlier, it's because love covers a multitude of sin. A fervent love for one another will drive us to forgive one another. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when the term covered is used about sin, it means basically forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Can I show this to you? Yes. Look at Psalms chapter 85. Psalms chapter 85 verse 2. Describing God. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. You forgave their sins. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 4, verse 7, the words are given to us again. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. So there's no mystery here. The idea is love covers a multitude of sins. Love forgives a multitude of sins. And what would this include? It would include every category of sin and every quantity of sin that we may endure or encounter. This is what love will allow us to do. If you look at this and you say to yourself, well, how is this possible? This is just amazing. I have maybe you might say to yourself, I struggle with trying to forgive people of the smallest things and the biggest things they do. For believers, it is because of how we have been forgiven by by God. If you look at Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty two, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Why is it that you and I are able to forgive others except that we have been forgiven by God? And that's what enables us. That's what empowers us. That is what motivates us. There's a real application here because during the stressful times of relocation, we need to be deeply in love with one another. Why? Because then we can forgive each other for what is said or not said, for what is done or not done. In the time of relocation, there's always going to be people who say, how come this wasn't done? How come it was done that way? There's a better way. Who's in charge here? You know, who do we arrow? <laughs> you know, I think that's the term you folks like to use here. Who do we arrow? Whose head is going to roll? You know, all this kind of stuff. May I suggest that we deeply love one another. And we forgive one another for these smaller mistakes. We'll do better next time. It'll happen better. And let's carry that spirit with us. This is what Professor Wayne Grudem said about this particular idea of loving and forgiving. Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some larger ones are overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, Every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action 
is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound. Which atmosphere do you want? What atmosphere do you want? You want where there is a fervent love for one another because it allows us to forgive. It allows us to forgive. That's on the emotional level. But what about a practical level? And that's what I love so much about Peter. Peter was the fisherman, right? But Peter was not this really high-browed theologian like of the caliber of Paul. Very few people are of the caliber of Paul. Peter was a rugged fisherman, often noted for putting his sandal in his mouth than for anything else. All right? But Peter had a heart for the people. And he knew what was going on in their lives and what was going on in their hearts. And so he addressed that because he says, keep your fervent love for one another. And then he says, because it will allow us to forgive one another. And then physically, he said, it will also show itself. A fervent love will direct us to serve one another. A fervent love will move us and direct us to serve one another. Well, how? You know, you have any practical indication? You got to understand that the time that Peter lived was very different than ours. So he starts off in verse 9. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 4 and look at verse 9. He says there in verse 9, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Now, you would say to yourself, of all the things that Peter could have said, why does he start with be hospitable? Because in those days and times, they didn't have the, um, the, the, the fabulous hotels that we have today. They didn't have available all the, the chalets and all of the, the, the different levels of hotel and accommodations. They didn't have that at that time. All they had was people who had something over their head and people who didn't have anything over their head. All they had was people who had some food on a table and a whole lot of people that didn't have food on the table. And so Peter says, be hospitable. Literally, it means welcome strangers, welcome strangers. There was a great need for food and lodging. And opening one's homes to strangers was really seen as a great act of love. And so he says, hey, you want to show your love in a practical way? Open your home. Feed people. Let them sleep in your home. Wow. People reading this in the first century said, are you kidding, Peter? Are you kidding? Peter said, I'm not kidding. That is real fervent love. That's one way that you can do this. And so that's why he started with that. And then he goes on and he says, without complaint. Literally, it means without grumbling. Of course, there's going to be people who overstayed, you know, people who should have left yesterday kind of thing. There's always going to be people who abuse their uh, their stay, right? They're going to come back to you and they're going to say, uh, for tomorrow's menu, can you have steak and lobster and so on, and, you know, chili crab and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, there's always going to be people like that. 
And there's going to be people who make a mess. Have you ever had guests that come to your house and they make a mess? You know, there's always going to be people like that. But Peter says, keep your fervent love and show your love by your hospitality without complaint. How does that help us? Well, because we're moving to the chapel of the Holy Spirit. We come very low on the priority list as far as the booking of spaces and rooms. We don't have it. We don't have it. And so many of our ministries are going to have to move off-site. Many of our team meetings are going to have to move off-site. A lot of stuff is going to happen not in the church, but somewhere else. And so we can open our homes to be used by people. Oh, but you say to yourself, <laughs> I can't. Oh, no, I don't, I don't want people, you know, I'd have to check the silverware every time they left, you know, and make sure, you know, everything is the way it's supposed to be. No, no. It's because of our fervent love for one another. And how can we practically show it? Come, come, come meet at our place. Come meet at our place. We'd be privileged to have you. That should be the attitude that we have. Fervent love allows us to serve others by going beyond personal inconveniences, disruptions, and disturbances to our homes and to our schedules. That's how we can show our love. But also, Peter goes on in verses 10 through 11, and he tells us that we can also display our fervent love for one another by using our spiritual gifts. Look at verse 10. Each one has received, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, he says in verse 10. And notice here he used the word has received a special gift. Literally, this could be translated as grace gift. God's word tells us that all of us have a special gift from God to bless others. The list can be found in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians chapter 4, to just name a few places. But if you look at those lists, you will see, and you look at the words that are in there, you'll find that each of us has a special gift. There's not one believer who does not have a special gift that we can use to bless other people. And indeed, that's what he says in verse 10. He says, employ it in serving one another for the benefit of others. Why? Because that's what a good steward does. In verse 10, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. A steward is one who is responsible for using his master's resources for good. In this case, resources owned and given by God to edify the church for God's glory. And so he says, hey, use your gift. Use that special ability that God has given to you to bless other people. Very frankly, I think churches of our size and our length of time, oftentimes we have more people not using their gifts than people who are using their gifts. Okay? Now, I'm not scolding you. I'm just making an observation and an insight. And so what happens here is that there's like 80% of the people watching and 20% of the people doing. You see? And God doesn't, that was not God's intent. God's intent was that 100% of the people are serving one another. That was his intent. 
And that's why he gave us these gifts to use. And so as we begin to move off of here, fervently love one another. How? By using our spiritual gifts. And if you haven't used it in a while, don't be afraid of blowing the dust off of it and get it going again. And if you've been using it and you're practically burned out, okay, keep doing it anyway. (laughs) All right? Because you want to continue serving one another. Now, notice here in verse 11, there's two categories of gifts that he mentions. There are two categories of gifts. Look at the first part of verse 11. He says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, it says. In the New International Version, it says it this way. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Now, just because we have the gift of speaking doesn't mean we just go around blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Today, we have the word of God. And whoever shares needs to be sure that they are consistent and careful to conform to the God's word. In other words, that requires study, effort, and prayer. All right? As we go about this. And so he says, if you, whoever speaks, whoever has that gift, be sure that they are doing it according to the word of God. Put in the time, put in the time so that you know what God's word says. Then the second category or what we call the serving gifts. This is in verse 11, verse 11, the second part. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Why? So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right. And so he says that if you're going to serve, if you're going to do administration, you have the gift of help, so on and so forth. You do it in the power and the strength that God gives you. So you can't go around bragging about, well, look what I did or anything like that. It's so that all the glory goes to God. And this becomes something uh, important to us as we move off from here. As we move off, there are many ways for us to serve one another. Now, it's going to take a little change in our thinking. What is the change? We are used to being served. Now we are being commanded to serve. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. There are ways for us to do this. For example, I just learned, I just learned this week, it's hot off the press. We're going to have a bus down at the MRT station. So those dear brothers and sisters who are taking the MRT stations, they will arrive there. And a bus will be waiting for them to pick them up and bring them into the church campus. I just learned this week that we don't have enough manpower for people to greet people at the MRT station and direct them to the bus and help them on the bus. 
Man, you say out there and you say to yourself, man, <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> a church this size, do we not have anybody who would be willing to go early and wait at the MRT station and greet people as they come off the train and say, please, the bus is waiting for you over here. Let me direct you. Now, I also learned today or this week, there are two exits out of the MRT station. Okay. Which exit do you take to catch the bus? You see, there's a big difference between the two exits. You see, wouldn't it be great if we had some brothers and sisters who could be waiting at these exits and they can direct people to the correct exit so they can go where they need to go? All right. You see, people say, I can't speak, I can't teach, I can't do this, I can't do that. You know, maybe it's time for us to ask ourselves what we can do and stop talking about so much of what we can't do. You see? And that is where we can serve. We're going to need more eyes to help keep track of members and the tenders, to help call, visit, and care for one another. Ah! But wait a minute. That's what we pay the pastors to do. Okay? You know, this week I about died. I had so many people I had to visit. You know? I couldn't celebrate the day off. (laughs) And I had to go. I, I wanted to and I could. And I gladly went to go visit people. But I said to myself, how many more people could I possibly squeeze in? Not many. If any. You see? And the point is... When we get over there to the new church, there's going to be people who say, ah, Sunday afternoon, ah, that's my sleep time. You know, that's, that's the time I take a nap. There's other people going to say, that's the time I do my homework. That's the other t- people will say, that's the time when I torture the kids and I send them to tuition. You know, there are going to be people who are going to say all those type of things. They're going to be, they're going to be absent without leave, all right, in church, A-W-O-L. How are we going to have enough eyes to catch these people? We love them. We care about them. Don't we? We want them to be with us. We want to be with them. All right? And so we're going to need help. We're going to need people to say, hey, I'll call this person. We're going to need people that are going to say, hey, I noticed that so-and-so has not been here for a while. I'll, I'll be happy to drop them an email or drop them a line or SMS them and, and, and tell them we miss them and we hope that they'll come. All right? So these are just some ideas of how we can serve one another. What time is it? It's time to live expectantly by watching and working till the Lord returns. It's time to love fervently by volunteering our resources and using our spiritual gifts. That's what time it is. That's what time it is. Not two weeks from now, not three weeks from now. It starts now. Okay? And that's what we need to be cognizant of. One could say the time is now. The time is right to face our challenges and changes with hope. God is working out his plans and purposes for Christ's return. So faithfully, so work faithfully for the Lord. Seriously, share and live the gospel as never before. Why? Because time is short. We don't know when Christ is going to come back. The time is right for us to keep fervent 
our keep fervent our love for one another so that we can forgive offenses and differences of opinion and unite around God's plans and purposes for GBC. One of my greatest fears when we move off this site is not that my desk didn't end up in the new office. My greatest fear is not that my stapler didn't make the move, got lost. My greatest fear was not that one of my best books somehow was damaged in the move. My greatest fear is that we will take an unloving spirit from here and carry it to the next place. And this unloving spirit will keep us from being and doing what God really wants us to do. The time is now to fervently love one another and forgive one another. It's time. It's time. Stressed and distressed, know that God is in control and Christ returns soon. Stressed and distressed, fervently love one another. I read this story, and it just sort of captured my imagination. So bear with me. The story goes like this. During World War II, there was a French village. And in the square of the French village was a statue of Jesus. When the bombing started, the statue was severely damaged. And it really meant a lot to the villagers. And so they went out after the bombing and they collected as many pieces of the statue as they could because their hope was to rebuild it at a safer time. The war ended. The villagers came together and they painstakingly put together the statue of Jesus. Toward the end of the restoration, everything was together as much as possible. But there were two pieces that were important pieces that were missing. It was the hands of Jesus. So the elders of the village got together and said, well, statue doesn't look right without hands. So we might as well just tear it down, you know, and let it go. Then what happened? Somebody, to this day, nobody knows who, they put a message at the foot of the statue and said this. He has no hands but ours. He has no hands but ours. And this message just hit the people. It hit them. The statue had no hands, it had no eyes, it had a distorted mouth. He has no hands but ours. He has no eyes but ours. He has no mouth but ours. The body, the Bible tells us that we are the body of Christ. You, you, 
you, all of us. We need to be the hands, eyes, and mouth of Jesus. Whether we're here at Mata Road or we're there and St. Andrew's campus. I'll end with that. And I'll just want you to know. God is in control. And let's not be stressed and distressed. In the last few weeks, what we've done is we've allowed time for the congregation to pray. Either with one another or by themselves. And we've put up some suggestions based on the message for you to start with. And so we'll do that now. We'll allow for about a minute for you to pray either by yourself or with another person. And the suggestions are up on the screen. Know that God is in control. Dear Lord, make the return of Christ more real and dearer to me each day. So I will live more as you want me to live. In spite of my challenges. Dear Lord. Enable me. And give me opportunities. To love others. In practical ways. So that you are glorified. Can you pray these things? Can you ask God for these things? Please bow your heads. And I'll close in about a minute. Our precious Father in heaven, we are your people. And Father, we desire very much to obey you and to serve you and to love you. Father, I pray that we will take to heart on the eve of our move these words to heart. That Father, eternity is close. And we really need to be about God's business. Oh, Lord, your word is so right. We need to fervently, passionately, earnestly love one another in every way possible. So, Father, draw us together during these times. Do not 
allow us to be driven apart, but driven together. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.